Sarah. Save the world. Romanticism teaches that choosing a partner should be about letting oneself be guided by feelings rather than any practical considerations. Yes. Um, hate that. Hate it. Hate it so much. Like, Again, your feelings don't tell you what to do. Your feelings don't have any kind of wisdom. <laughs> They're not even necessarily based in reality. Mm -mm. Um, and feelings are always changing. Feelings fade over time. So if you've made serious like life decisions based on chemical burst type of feelings, right. then everything's probably going to fall apart pretty fucking soon because these decisions need to be based on practicality. Under the influence of romanticism, you could literally base your relationship off of those whirlwind, swept up feelings um, that come from physical chemistry and infatuation mm -hmm. when you first meet a person and decide, I have done this, I have been like, we've known each other for four months, let's move in together. Oh my god, I literally did that when I was 20 after dating someone for like three or four weeks. Yeah, like... That's, that's romanticism, teaching us that, again, this love conquers all mentality. It doesn't have to make sense. It just is right. It's just right. No, you're codependent. Right. Holy fuck. You know, and because of that, because of pursuing, you know, a relationship based on feelings and physical chemistry, you can ignore shared values. You can ignore, like, how your morals are against each other. You know, some people could have, like, a totally different moral landscape to you, but oh my god, like, I love looking at them. Let's be together forever. Oh yeah. We'll figure the rest of this stuff out later. And your brain will tell you, like, it'll rationalize that kind of stuff. And part of that is based on these idealized relationships and romanticism that we see. Um, you know, you may not have shared views on money, you may not have compatible politics, and you will literally say, we'll figure all that out later, it'll be fine. That will not be fucking fine. It won't be okay, because those things that you're deciding to put off and deal with later are literally like the legs of your relationship. Right. Like the foundation of what keeps a relationship. You're deciding to figure out later because you'd rather just like basically like jerk off and all the fucking chemicals and then, wow, shocking, when six <laughs> months to a year later, I don't feel the same way. Right. It's not working. Right. I don't know. I wonder why. Or like, I'm still really attracted to this person, but they're a Republican. <laughs> break up. You have to break up. You literally have to break up. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, like, these are things that need to be talked about in the beginning, that need to be figured out, like, and put your feelings secondary, which I know is really hard as a human not being. Not romantic. It's not romantic, but if you want to have something healthy and long-lasting, you have to sometimes take the unromantic approach. Right. And I'm not even saying, like, you know, do away with all romance, but create the security and foundation of your relationship first with some common goals, and then... Like, yes. like, I don't know, like, indulge in the romance. Because, at least for me now, which is very different from before, like, I want the safety and security first before I even feel safe to participate in romantic events. Yep. Because I've done it the opposite for so long, and it leaves you feeling empty. It leaves you wasting your fucking time. Well, also, a big sweeping romantic gesture with somebody that you have a safe, like, compatible foundation with is different than a big sweeping romantic gesture when you barely know someone. That's actually fucked up and weird. It's desperate and it's, uh -huh. like, kind of alarming. Like, a lot of stuff that's portrayed in movies, again, we kind of made a list, but, um, you know... Finding out where you live and dropping flowers off and stuff like that is supposed to be that, that's a, mm -mm, that that's a murderer. Yeah, like that's <laughs> that's someone, actually a murderer. That's someone that doesn't respect your boundaries, your personal space. That's like they're just too involved. Yeah, and I know that like as women, like we are basically starved for involvement over the course of our lives for men, which is why women become obsessed with all sorts of very weird, villainous type of men. Mm -hmm. And it's because of the attention that these unstable men give you. But that's another thing that I tell like young girls to look out for when you're like getting involved with men, 
is over-investment into you, over-obsession, over-complimenting you. Like, yeah. all of these things are red flags for someone that's, like, mentally unstable. Absolutely. Like, I hate to say it, but, like, healthy interactions are, like, more, like, level-headed and, yeah. and peaceful. Mm -hmm. um, there's really absolutely nothing that should be comforting about a man showing up at your place of work that you barely know like doing some over-the-top gesture for you like that's no no like i don't think that that comes from a healthy place it does not at all um so which leads straight into the next one which is romanticism has a powerful disdain for practicalities and money so talking about money um especially i think this is one of the biggest things that's seen as the complete opposite of romantic and I think at least in my experience it's been like frowned on to say like I'm into this person but they aren't financially stable mm -hmm. you know like you're not supposed to care you're supposed to like not let money influence your feelings for somebody especially if you're a woman right exactly. dating men like exactly. you if you put up some kind of like standard saying I don't date broke men you are basically like berated either by broke men uh -huh. or women that have made the sacrifice to be with broke men saying that you're shallow, your priorities aren't right, like the stupid dynamic of like, oh, you would choose like a man with money over a, a poor guy that loves you. There really is no correlation between like men being poor and having a better ability to love you no. than men who are wealthy having an ability to love you. Or even just not even necessarily wealthy, but just like responsible, yeah. have a steady job, have carried a job for multiple years. Like yeah. things like this really matter and tell you a lot about this person's character. It's, you know, if you're like... I like a broke man and he's a PhD student. That's different than I like a broke man who hasn't carried a job for years, you know? And and this idea that, like, love should conquer all, it doesn't matter if he's broke, if I'm broke, we're going to figure it out together, yeah. you know, we're going to just have grit and get through it. Like, that, honestly, is bullshit. Like, you don't have to put yourself through financial struggle for love. You especially shouldn't, like... You know, thinking back to, like, our previous episode with, like, um, emotional labor and looking at all the disadvantages of being a woman who dates men, like, why would you add another layer to your disadvantages <laughs> yeah. and shorter lifespan by putting yourself on the fucking struggle bus to date a broke man? Right. Like, I just, I mean, I've been there. I've, I've dated broke men, and... I can tell you that they don't love you better, and I've never even heard of a, a woman being with a broke man who felt like she was loved better because he didn't have money. Right. And it just turns into you mothering them even more. Right. And I think that it's really important to, like, talk about money pretty soon into yeah. a relationship. Like, and that doesn't mean be materialistic, but literally... Be practical because it's not about having stuff, but it is about having stability. And unfortunately, we live inside a fucking capitalist country. Yeah. And we need money. And and the need for money is a whole other problem in itself mm -hmm. that shouldn't necessarily be there, but it is. That's our reality right now. So I also think it's important not just to, you know, not worry about talking about money, but also just look for maybe they're not making money right now, but they have a plan. Yeah. See, you know, what was their parents' relationship to money? What kind of ideas about money do they have that they were raised with? You know, if money's taboo for them, they can't even talk about it, and they've never gone on Reddit personal finance. You know, like, you want to be somebody who's going to be financially responsible because, again, kind of unfortunately, in our, like, country in the United States, you, you have to be financially responsible. You don't have a choice. Yeah, it just, like, if you're already attempting to have, like, a romantic relationship, like, an added stress to that would be worrying about another person's ability to, what, like, pay their own bills. Right. Like, well, because you don't want to end up in a situation where you're paying somebody's bills disproportionately, you know, where it's not, like, 
give and take. Like, people should be able to be responsible for themselves. Yeah, and I think that um, money is something that's important to talk about because also you see how both people view money, and that really does affect like the longevity of your relationship right. and having common goals in the future. Because if you're a person who saves money and they're a person who spends all their money and have like no savings, no plan, no goals, nothing, you're like you're maybe not you it. make less but you save more and they make more but they spend it all, that's still gonna create a problem. So this whole idea that it's unromantic to talk about money just needs to go away. Hi. Hello. It's the next day. <laughs> it's the morning. Well, I guess now it's, it's the afternoon. It's noon the next day because we can't stay up late because we're fucking old. <laughs> yeah, we had to get some sleep. So now that we have slept and had coffee and now we're eating taquitos, uh -huh. <laughs> um, we're ready to continue the episode. That's right. So also talking about living arrangements, diet preference, um, if you want kids, you know, stuff like that. Like you have to talk about all those things. And Especially like living arrangement stuff. I think it's so weird that when you move in with a roommate, you're like, well, how clean are you? Yeah, like you, you know? like vet them out to make sure they're on like right. the same page as Like you. what are your habits? But you don't do that at all when you move in with a romantic partner. Yeah, you're just like, we're doing this. We're moving in. Yeah, and you know, from personal experience, like living with previous boyfriends, holy fuck. It's a bad idea. Like, just from like, you know, like living stuff alone, like... Being messy, not being responsible with, you know, upkeeping the place that you live in. Like, are you responsible enough to pay bills on time? Like, all these things, which I guess might be a little hard to figure out some of those prior. But had I known what I found out after, like, deciding to live with him, I would have never, ever, mm -hmm. ever decided to live with him or even pursue a relationship with them. Right. Because I really don't think that it matters, like, if you love someone because... If there are certain things... Love doesn't matter. It doesn't. Um, <laughs> if there are certain things that, like, create, like, a bad home environment for you, love will not conquer that, and I will be the first it to won't. tell you. It won't. It might for a while, but then it won't. And when it suddenly doesn't, it's going to be real bad. <laughs> yeah, like, when you realize that you have moved in with a slob that, like, leaves their stuff everywhere, that, like... Ugh, and then all Vinegar. you do is fight about these mm -hmm. things, and then that's, like, what your relationship, like, dwindles down to is you start resenting your home, resenting your partner, um, like, because your home environment is supposed to be, like, the number one place you can unwind and be at peace and not be on it. Right. But if you're, like, me, and you need, like, a very peaceful, like, put-together, you know, pretty normal, what I would right. think, home environment, and you're coming home to someone that literally can't even, like, pick up after themselves every day, it's, it's, a, it's bad. It's a living hell. Prime example of thinking that love will conquer all, um, this was probably 2012. Um, I moved in with someone literally after three or four months, um, because we were so in love, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, when we were moving in, his dad came and helped and literally said to me, are you sure you want to do this? He is very messy. Like, literally said that. And oh. I was like, oh my god, 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 I swear, I remember like screaming into his face, your threshold for what is dirty is not human, you know, yeah. like it's not okay. Like he would just be surrounded by piles of shit. But can we talk about like why that's like a very common experience when you start cohabitating with men? Well, I literally like his dad literally warned me. I was like, this is a really bad idea because he's so messy. And I was just like, it will, he'll learn not to be, you know, I would. I feel like I would be like, what did you do wrong in raising him? Like, I know, let's right? talk about it. I know. Well, that's his, his dad's house is also really messy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the whole thing. But literally, like, I did that because of romanticism. Like, just mm -hmm. was like, I don't care. What to is, me, it, it creates depression. Like, if you're not absolutely. depressed, but your space is dirty, you'll be more depressed. And also, if you're already depressed, you're going to let your place become really dirty. Yep. And so it's just like this vicious circle that goes on Absolutely. and on. 
that stuff can be like a break yeah. in a relationship. And a lot of times I think people would be like, oh, you're you're picking your battles wrong. No, like your mm -hmm. home environment matters. It matters a lot. Yeah. Ugh. Also, you know, kind of vetting your partner's family and knowing what you're getting into with their family. You're not supposed to, you know, under romanticism, we would ignore that. But really, the patterns that people learn from their parents are pretty much like the, the relationship patterns that they're inheriting. Mm -hmm. So if you know somebody has like a very unhealthy family life, not saying you can't make it work with that person, but it's you're going to have to deprogram those things, or if you're the person with an unhealthy family, yeah. like you have a lot to unpack and deprogram, and you're bringing all that to the table, and talking about that is really important. Yeah, and I also think there's like this other side of romanticism where like you're supposed to automatically love and accept like your your in-laws or your partner's family because you know that's their family, but you know we have a lot of very strange things that we like for whatever reason, just like excuse because it's right. family. We could probably talk about that in another episode, but that's what romanticism tells you. Like love their family, be their family, right? Like, you know, just accept them. No, like if you, if, if you are dating someone that has a toxic family, like why, why do you think it's normal to just pretend like they're cool, they're healthy. I want to be close to them. I want them so intertwined in my life. Like that's terrible. Right. Um, so I think it's important to be real and like have like a lot of open discussions with your partner about family dynamics, about like what you're comfortable with. Like uh, one of the things I've read online is that a lot of people that have like unhealthy like enmeshed families, like they'll just show up at their place. Yeah. And that's so inappropriate. Mm -hmm. So like having discussions like your family can't do that. Right. Like, this is our space. This right. is our house. And people can't just show up unexpected. They don't get a free pass because right. they're family. These are really important conversations to have. Or else, all of these things, like, if you just don't talk about them, you just end up exploding later. So it's yeah. like, talk about it in the beginning so that the patterns don't start forming. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> and just don't worry about how unromantic that is. Like, it's an important yes. part of, you know... It, and if, here's what I really want to say, if the person you're beginning to fall in love with and you're beginning a relationship with is, is so turned off by having those unromantic discussions, then they're not at a maturity level That's you know, that so important. you need to pursue. Yeah. Because you don't have a relationship if you can't have like open communication about issues. Right. Like, I think a lot of times people think that uh, what a good relationship is, is never having issues, never talking about issues. Right. That's not a relationship. That's a fling. Yeah. That's a superficial, like meaningless thing. Even it lasts. Even if it lasts for years. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it. It doesn't hold depth because right. you can't bypass certain, like aspects of being in a relationship. And the longevity of a relationship is going to be determined by your ability to talk about things that suck. Right. That's yeah. like one of the hardest lessons I've learned is that's actually what determines the quality of your relationship. It's not how you react when things Absolutely. are good. It's how you both handle when things aren't good. And the very unromantic idea that there's some things that you can't resolve in the space of one conversation. Mm -hmm. There's some things that take months, years to resolve because again, it's about the personal work that you're doing on yourself and the personal work that your partner's doing on themselves that, you know, will help you get to a better place. And those that it takes a long time. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I think that like we have, like, when there's, like, complex issues, we think, like, we'll just sit down and talk it out until it's solved. It's not that's realistic. That's, that's, like, the romanticized idea of what it means to actually go through the struggle and work things out with your partner. It's, like, you sit down, you plan it, and you have this conversation, and then you fix it. But, like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> it's not realistic. Like, I think there's, like, something good to having discussions and saying, let's come to some kind of solution by the end of this. It doesn't have to be the solution that solves right. everything, but at least, like, a path that we are both agreeing to enter to work on this. Right. And then let's let's check in with each other again. And that's, a, that's basically what relationships are, is checking in with each other, making sure you're on the same page, mm -hmm. assessing where you're at, setting goals. Like, it's work. And yep. people don't want to do the work. They just want to bask in the feel-good things. And those are always short-lived. Right. Exactly. Romanticism teaches us to believe 
that true love involves delighting in your lover in every single aspect of them. Mm -hmm. So, um, this, I hear this stereotypical quote, or I see this on the internet all the time. Like I even love their flaws. Fuck that. You (laughs) don't, you You are lying to yourself. Like this idea that like when you fall in love with the right person, Uh you magically don't have any issues with them. Everything about them is great. They never annoy you. They don't have isms that drive you crazy. That's not real. Or this idea that even their flaws are are endearing. There's some flaws that, like, you'll find endearing in your partner that you're like, that's cute, you know? Or, like, that's funny. But, yeah, everyone has flaws that suck. Right. That really suck. And, again, if you're doing this, like, deeper work, then... Those flaws that suck are gonna like really, really suck. They almost like get worse before they get better. Yes, honestly, that's how most <laughs> things are. Yeah. They really do get worse before yeah. they get better. Um, yeah, like when I see like, I always reference the internet because I feel like this is like our our like most frequent way of seeing how people conduct relationships mm-hmm. by what they post online. When people are just like, I love everything about them. They're perfect. They saved my life. Blah blah blah. You know, all of these eye roller like bullshit statements right. that people say. The whole, like, he's perfect, he does everything right, she does everything, you know, whatever. You're lying. That is what denial is. Because right. that is not humanly possible. Right. And if you're lying about those things, what else are you lying about? Um, we need to stop idealizing people in order to stay in love with them. Right. And accept them on a harder level, which is a human level. Yep. This person is flawed. This person doesn't always make the best decisions. Like, they annoy me. I love them and I can, like, I don't know, deal with these things. Uh-huh. But I think when we're taught from, like, a romantic lens, it's that when things really bother you and kind of, like, make, build up that tension, that that's the sign that they're not the right one. So we leave relationships. Right. We go to the next person and so that happens again. And it's a lot of, like, relationship hopping being like, mm, well, that felt a little weird or that was tense. I didn't like that. So I'll just keep like dating people until I find someone that doesn't make me feel that way. You're literally going to be dating people and hopping for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. Every person, no matter like what your relationship is, they're going to annoy you. They're going to have flaws. They may even have deeper issues. Yeah. And that's because we're all human beings. Right. And not fairy tale characters. Right. Exactly. So, uh, that also leads into this idea that your partner needing to change or you needing to change means that it's not true love. So, this is really problematic because I've, I've even been told, like, if you love me, then you would accept me exactly how I am mm-hmm. and not expect me to change at all. There, again, like, you get into gray areas with this because some things, like, you, you're, you really shouldn't have to change. Mm-hmm. But other things you know, bad dynamics that you learned in past relationships or bad dynamics that you may have learned from your parents or other adult figures in your life, those things you have to question and you probably need to change some of them. Um, And the need to change for your partner or your partner needing to change for you, obviously it has to come from you wanting to change. Like You can't be changing just because they're making you or forcing you or pressuring you. But if you you have to search for those authentic situations where you you should pursue change and will benefit from change. And just because you changed for your partner doesn't mean that it wasn't true love. Like some of the changes I've gone through, you know, in my current relationship are like amazing and have helped me be a better person. And that's another thing that I think like people get weird about like the whole aspect of change. Almost all of us have stuff that we need to unpack or deprogram mm-hmm. or whatever. Is deprogram even a word or is it unprogrammed? It is now. Oh, I think it's deprogrammed. Okay. We all have things that we need to work on. And the thing is, we're, they're not really brought to light until you are in deeper romantic mm-hmm. relationships because these relationship cycles and patterns only come out in that kind of context. So... Basically, every single person who's in a, like, committed adult relationship is going to find out things about them that are dysfunctional, that are chaotic, that need to be improved upon. Right. And a lot of times I think people are like, I'm in the wrong relationship because this person wants me to change these things. And they think, like, oh, I'll just be single. I mean, if you want to be single for the rest of your life and never do anything besides have superficial interactions with people... Great, but if you want to actually share your life with someone, you have to be open, like, I guess, receptive Mm -hmm. 
to realizing you've got some shit going on. There's always personal development that needs to be taken yeah. in place. Or, I don't know, I kind of think it keeps you frozen in time. Like, at a, like a very low, like, maturity level. Like, the inability I, yeah. to, like, change and also see yourself as someone that probably has some issues. Right. Yeah, for sure. I really want to emphasize that being in a relationship is a skill. And I know that's another unromantic way of looking at it, but it's the reality. Like, if you want to do things right, you have to look at the truth to this. Being in a relationship is a skill, and basically, like, the starting point of the skill was when you were growing up with your parents and, like, the dynamics that you had with them, because whatever was preset there, both good and bad, is what you bring into your romantic relationships, yep. and, you know, obviously life experience from other romantic experiences, but it's a skill that you have to be working at. Like, just like any other, like, career type of skill. Your social skills, like, we talk about social skills all the time, mm -hmm. but we don't talk about romance skills <laughs> if you like no one naturally is good at it like right. I'm sorry to tell you but it's it's true no one is good at relationships naturally right it's literally like like going to college and being like I want to get a degree in this you put in the work you learn more you understand then you apply it it's like that like right and I don't think a lot of people like if they understood the work that is associated with having a functional, committed relationship, I don't think most people would even choose one. Or at least not choose one, like, all the time when you have other stuff going on, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I think we might be more careful about when we decide to enter relationships. And you see that a lot, like, in career-focused people who are like, I'm actually not looking for a relationship right now, who have made that connection, that it is a lot of work. It is. Um... But again, romanticism teaches you that it, it shouldn't be work, it should be magical, it should all fall into place, yeah. and flaws should, you know, be loved, and they should be endearing, and yeah, I, it's it's so frustrating, too, because, you know, I, I don't want to say, like, obviously, like, you have to go into every relationship, like, alright, here's, like, the project where we're going to, you know fix everything and we're going to treat it like a job, like not saying that romantic feelings have no place in our lives, but I think they're secondary. Yeah. If you want it to work. Yeah. Like, and you may not, like that might not be what you value. I feel like but when you look at a relationship as a business, then you, oh, I'm just <laughs> spilling green tea everywhere. I think, um, I, oh, it's right here. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> I think when you view a relationship as a business, then it starts to make a lot more sense to you. Like, businesses don't thrive unless you go into it with the right kind of investments, unless it's a consistent thing that you work on and build and grow. Mm -hmm. And then you can, it's almost like viewing like your partner as like a business partner. Right. Working together, having common goals. Yes. Like, it, it makes it make a lot more sense. Absolutely. And not to say that that's all you have to think of it as. Like, but look at, that, look at that extent of what you have to deprogram. Because even hearing you, and I view relationships that way for mm -hmm. the most part. But even hearing you say, like, look at it as a business. Like, there's a voice in my head that's like, no. <laughs> I know. And that's part you know? of the romanticism yeah. that we've literally grown up believing. Right. right. I hate talking about it like that because I feel like it turns so many people off from uh -huh. the conversation. But it's the truth. Yeah. You can't make a relationship work based on feelings, which I think is the most emphasized thing. Well, you shouldn't have to. And you shouldn't have to try. And you shouldn't have to be navigating through that murky bullshit for so long. Because it's it's confusing and it's painful. When, the alarm. Um, when you're basing everything off of feelings, then it really is like this yo-yo effect and ups and downs and roller coaster. Yeah. And, and it's... There's nothing wrong with being logical and approaching things with logic and reason. And honestly, the more you take romance out of it, the better it is and the better it feels. I know. Like, we're not saying, like, don't be romantic, don't go on dates, don't celebrate anniversaries or celebrate each other. Like, mm -hmm. still do all those things. But understand that those are not going to be the foundation of what keeps you together. Those are basically, like, like the Saturday night of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Like... Going out and having fun. Like, these are the things we do for fun. But as we all know, fun is not what carries you through life. And that, that same, like, statement applies to relationships. Right. I think we just have to accept that being with people is not like 
It's different than it's what not, we see in the movie. It's not like a, a fun vacation that we add to our lives. It can be it can be really amazing, especially if you address these things. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to see it as an opportunity to grow mm-hmm. as an individual and like as a unit. Yep. Um, and that it's a lifestyle. Yeah. And I think it can be a really positive lifestyle, but you know that's only going to be with two people that are willing to develop. Right. Romanticism is not only represented in movies and books. Because now, so much of what we're influenced by is social media. <laughs> oh, this is like one of my biggest pet peeves. Well, it's it sucks because we grew up, and you know, not just our generation, but like several generations before us, generation after us, like all have been influenced by romanticism in media. So books, movies, songs, all of this. Um, and now, because we're all on social media, people who are kind of trapped in these romantic ideals are portraying their relationships on social media also as this romantic, blissful, perfect thing. And it's, you know, I don't think that people need to overshare. I don't think that people have to put every down and up on social media, I think there's a lot of pressure, like, towards oversharing in order to be authentic. You, like, should show your pain and stuff. And be real. Right. But it's it's not being... I don't think that's being real. I think... I saw um, something recently that w- went on and on about how it's really just not having boundaries with what you're sharing online and that you could be opening yourself up to vulnerability that later is, is bad for you. So... Not to say that you, when you post a picture of you and your partner, you need to be like, and we also fight all the time. Yeah. (laughs) You know, not to say that, but to give this false impression of a romantic idealism of your own relationship, I think probably um, is harming your own relationship because you can't even live up to what you're portraying it as online and also is, is... influencing people in a way that has a negative impact. And I also think what people need to do is look at why you would feel the need to share something that personal with strangers, with the public. Right. Like, I think that a lot of times people just do it unconsciously because everyone's doing it and Well, it's so normal. many things have become commodities. But that I, aren't, but like relationships have kind of become a commodity because it's popular. It's become a product. We're mm-hmm. all like marketing our product to other right. people to show that it's better, that it's stable, all these things. And I feel like that's so toxic to a relationship. And the need to put something publicly like that, that's that personal, with all these weird, intimate details of your relationship online, it's seeking validation and it's a Take, it's like being a part of this like worldwide game of who's bragging the most about who has the best partner, who has the best relationship. And it's so funny because like having watched this happen online for many, many years and having participated in this mm-hmm. many years ago, I can now look at the people that do it the most. The people that like basically have a part-time job of keeping everyone in the world updated on their relationship yeah. <laughs> are usually the people honestly in abusive relationships yes. like because i don't think that happy and healthy people feel the need to prove that they're happy and healthy to the public right because they just are the need to put something online for other people to like and comment on is seeking validation whether you want to accept it or not it is seeking validation right why do you need validation if it actually is good right like, ask yourself that and i think that we just do it like almost like it's breathing at this point. Like, oh, I'm in a relationship once a week. I'm going to post a photo of my boyfriend and put all of these, like this huge caption about how much we love each other. Like, that's so bizarre. Yeah, and obviously, like, if you are with your partner a lot of the time and you have a ton of photos together and you want to share that stuff, like, that's fine. Yeah. I think it's more the caption where it gets a little weird, yeah. you know, where there's like constantly talking about like here's a bulleted list of the qualities I like about my partner and, and like, you know all why these I'm intimate so details. Yeah, I, it's just 
where is that coming from really is the question we're asking like what is the what is the objective of that because I I don't know like I don't I don't think that's the best forum for showing your appreciation to your partner I think probably telling them is yeah not like orchestrating it with with the perfectly worded captions so that everyone can just comment about how perfect you are that's Mm -hmm. literally just that is setting yourself up to just seek approval from people that are outside of your relationship mm-hmm. about your relationship. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like our if anything is super intimate in our lives, I think that it's the relationship that we choose to have with our partners. Um, and I just don't think, and I know this is my opinion, so like whatever. <laughs> I don't think that the public eye is the place to share details of your relationship. I don't really think that it's anyone's business. In past relationships where it was like really shitty, I would always go to my friends and be like, what do I do? And here's like a literal play-by-play of everything going on. And I was talking about this for seven hours. Right. And, And that was not how you solve problems. You solve problems with that person. You don't bring in third parties to your relationship. So I think romanticizing your relationship publicly online is in a way bringing in a third party it is um that and i feel like i read this thread like a while back that was talking about the concept of people that don't post photos with their significant other or people who don't put like that they're in a relationship and like the person's profile name in their bio and like basically like the summary of the thread was if you're dating someone who doesn't like make it so known consistently that you guys are together that they're cheating on you and no i <laughs> i remember reading through tons of the comments and sharing my experience with this all of my friends who were cheated on were cheated on by people like partners that posted photos with them how much they loved them like in their like instagram bios put like you know, heart and then the person's profile name, people really think that like the publicness is a sign that your relationship is solid and faithful. And I'm literally telling you that like half the people that you're saying goals about like, oh my God, their goals because they're oversharing and making their relationship look perfect. They're literally cheating on each other. Mm -hmm. Like it's that common. And so being public about being together and all that stuff, it literally means nothing. Nothing. It's not an indicator of anything. And these people are using a very common marketing tool. It is so popular and financially like beneficial for a lot of like artists, celebrities, businesses, whatever, to market goals, relationships. Right. I mean, think back to, like, when reality TV was huge. Oh, yeah. I feel like that was, like, the beginning. Relationships were fascinating, and you want to keep up with people who are together, and you want to know the details of their relationship, you know? And I literally watch, like, artists or celebrities or just even well-known people online, like, overshare their relationships, making all these, like, couple goals types of posts, and it's because... It's, it's so addicting to consume it's for, a commodity. The, for, like, you know, consumers or fans or whatever. Right. But it's not even real. Like, they literally have terrible relationships. But they know that that's so in demand mm-hmm. to have a goals type of couple. They use it to make money. They use it to gain popularity. They use it to become, like, this, like, known figure for, like, how to have a good life and make good decisions. And it's literally a lie. Yeah. It's unreal. I just think that one of the most, like, you know, I guess capping this, one of the most disrespectful things I think you can do to your partner or your relationship is to take something intimate and make it a public thing. Yeah. And I am not saying that, you know, don't ever post photos with your partner or, like, leave an I love you comment on their thing, but I think you need to, like, look at where that burning need to overshare every time something happens with them comes from. And just, I don't know, like, don't participate in in this game. Like, this whose boyfriend or relationship is better. Because right. It's also a weird competition. <laughs> it's, it's really off-putting. Like, I used to do it. Yeah. I used to do it. And I, I did it in relationships where I was insecure or, like, 
I was young, I, I think that plays into it as well, because like your boundaries are kind of weird when you're young. And it was bullshit. I wanted to believe the things that I was saying, just like pretty much everyone else who's doing it. Right. I, re I mean, I can remember posting online like in response to having a really hard time, you know, mm -hmm. and then feeling like we resolved things and then being like, I wish I hadn't posted that. No, like posting it like after, like making oh. up, you know, like not intentionally because of that, but like reinforcing that everything's going to be okay to myself and then posting online from that place. You yeah. know, like, oh, we just resolve things. Like, we're going to make it. We're going to be together forever. Like, love him so much. Da, 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 post. And, yeah, it's like, instead of posting that to the internet, you're, like, trying to post that, like, to yourself. To, like, yeah, like, I'm trying to post it into my own feelings, you know? Yeah. Well, the way that, like, I've come up with an example in my head is, like, how to check yourself on this to see if you're doing this for other people, because you probably are, is why don't you make the post and set it to where... No one can see it. Yeah. Because you're not going to want to do that. And you're, and I, I know the common like argument with this is, I just want to share my happiness. I think that needs to be looked at a little bit further. I do too. I really do. I don't think there's anything wrong with being happy. And I don't think there's anything wrong with like it kind of being a known thing that you're happy. But when it involves another person, I really just don't think it's about sharing your happiness. I think it's about like validating that maybe like you are in a better place than you were before but you're proving that to other people mm -hmm. not yourself and mm -hmm. I don't know I just your relationship is not a product so stop marketing it and if you're using social media kind of as a diary or like a record of things you've done you know I kind of do that with my mm -hmm. Instagram it's still like um don't feel like you have to highlight every single thing, yeah. you know, like you don't have to have a constant up-to-date thing. And I think it's really important for me and what I do is I just wait and I don't post things right away. Like if, if Ash and I go on vacation together, I don't post from vacation. I wait yeah. until we're back. Like, I decide, I look at all the photos and I'm like, I'm going to share this one. You don't have that A lot of times the media. ones that make it onto my Instagram aren't even my favorite photos. Yeah. You know, that I'll put, I'm like, I like this one. It's cool. It's got a fucking waterfall or whatever. But I really like that because then your vacation is actually centered around your vacation and not, this is so great. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me hold, just hold on. I, I'm, I'm letting everyone know that I'm having fun with you. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Why? What is that? Why Why is that so important that that can't even wait? Oh, it's because you want to check the notifications right. later and have everyone go, oh my God. Like, it's like you need the immediate satisfaction every time an event takes place. Right. Yeah. Later posting, I feel like shows rationality. Yeah. It does. Well, I like it because then you go through your whole you know, trip or whatever it was, and then you can be more selective, and you also get to the experience of, like, I'm reliving the whole thing, and then I'm picking the piece that, like, maybe I do want to share. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot better. It works for me. Um, and, I, oh, I will add to that, too, because a lot of it I want to share because I'm keeping up with people who I do know in real life, yeah. too. Yeah. You know, but who I don't necessarily, like, text every day. Yeah. So that's why I just wait, and then I'm like, I'll pick, you know, one photo that I'm going to share. Mm -hmm. Because I understand that a lot of people are online just to share with people they do know personally. Yeah. Um, but even then, it's you're still putting it out into the ether of the internet. So, yeah. 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 This is actually straight from the Time magazine. We're probably going to do an episode more in-depth on this. Yes. Um, we do really like the topic idea of um, how people market their relationships and, you know, really just digging into all of that. So that episode coming probably in the future. Yeah. <laughs> um, so straight from the Time uh, Magazine article, that is basically our source for this whole thing, um, are just things to keep in mind, um, just recapping everything. Yeah. It is totally normal that love and sex don't always go together. Um, discussing money early on up front and seriously is not betraying love. No, it's basically ensuring that you can have a future together. Exactly. Um, realizing that we're flawed and our partner is flawed is 
a benefit. It's great. It's a good thing. Like yes. realizing that is going to help you. Um, and it actually will help you increase the amount of tolerance and generosity that you have in your relationship. Yeah, I think that's really important because it's going to ground you to reality. Yep. And recognizing the flaws both in yourself and your partner is like opening the door to self-development. Yep. And you can't develop yourself if you're in denial about things that are off with you. Right. So it has to be there. Yep. Um, where are we at? Oh yeah, this one. Uh, okay, so we will never find everything in another person, nor they in us. Um, I think that it's really important that we understand that because I think a lot of times we put so much emphasis on the right partner or the relationship being the thing that makes our life feel complete, yeah. that ends the loneliness, that cures your depression, and it's literally never going to do that. Nope. Like... It won't. It's a person. It's not a cure-all. And that's not because the other person isn't correct. They're not the right one. They're too flawed. It's not because of that. It's because of human nature. Yeah. Um, so, like, if you are someone that has, like, depression or, like, anxiety or PTSD or, like, any of these things that very much exist outside of having a partner, they're not going to just go away because you have someone that loves you. Mm -hmm. And it, sometimes it can even make it worse because it can activate certain things in you that you have to work through. Right. Um, so thinking that like, oh, well, I still, I still feel depressed even though this person loves me. Maybe they're not the right person. That's, that's not right. Like, right. You have to own what is you that's separate from your partner because yeah. that's still going to be there. It's not going to just be fixed. Right. This one is so important. We have to make an immense and often artificial sounding effort to understand each other. So again, it's kind of like sterile, you know? It's, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's the opposite of romantic. It's the opposite of it. But you really have to almost like view someone as the... What's the right way to word this? Like almost like a different language that you're trying to understand. Mm -hmm. um, and it takes effort. It's not going to come naturally to you. Like, you know, if you were raised very differently than your partner, then just even the way they communicate, the way they see themselves, it's going to be very different than how you see things. Right. And the way they react to things may not make sense to you. Like, this is a totally separate individual person. Like, they're not just going to make perfect sense to you. You're not just going to have this immediate understanding of each other where their motives always are clear like it doesn't work that way and it's not supposed to i think we need to give up the notion that we have to understand everything yeah because part, like sometimes part, you just won't what real understanding is is that you're not going to understand right. another person on every level exactly and accepting that instead of forcing and forcing and picking and picking trying to understand like you have to accept like your brain is different from my brain, right. and therefore we're never going to see everything exactly the right. same. But putting in the effort to learning like, like why someone, to the best of your ability, does the things that they do, how to communicate with them in a unique way that's fit for them. Maybe that unique way doesn't fit for you, right. but that's just because people are so different. Mm -hmm. And if you don't put in this kind of effort, like really going out of your way, to like understand this person, it's just not going to work. Yep, that's exactly right. In conclusion, I still love Twilight and love triangles. I'm obsessed with love triangles. Me too. Love triangles are my favorite thing ever. If there's a new show or TV, like a new show, movie, book, anything that's about like a girl and two guys in a love triangle, I'm fucking hooked. Some of my favorite media ever is just shows that are about high schoolers having dysfunctional relationships and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I love it. I love it. Yes, I absolutely love it. And But I don't love it in a way where I'm going to be like, this is how I want my life to be. It's like an indulgent thing. Yes, exactly. So, we are not saying throw every piece of fiction in the garbage. Yeah, like, <laughs> seriously, just keep watching Twilight. Keep indulging. It is good. And especially once you have started to make this distinction, mm -hmm. it's helpful to indulge in it in fiction and through fiction and to use that as a tool so that you don't 
go through those patterns and those cycles. Yeah. And you don't seek it out because guess what? You can just get your fix on Netflix. (laughs) Yeah. I really think it's important to like separate, like just because something is appealing and feels good to consume and like being like, okay, this is something I really like. It feels good to like be watching Uh this. It doesn't have to like be your life. Well, and then if it feels really good, like if you're really into love triangles, which you might be, <laughs> you can trace that and say like, you know, actually, why am I obsessed with love triangles? Like, why do I want to read every book about a love triangle ever? Like, uh, yeah, I had to do that for myself and I know exactly why I'm into them now. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can, you can trace it all the way back. So that's important. So you know, this idea that we're all chasing after of romanticism is still useful, just not in the way that we think it is originally as something to emulate. It's actually the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I also think it, like, like you were saying, trace it back. One of the most important things to developing as a human being is not just dismissing things and going, that's just the way I am. I don't know. I just, you know, having no deep thought about anything because we're human beings. We're complex. Yep. We have psychological reasons for why we literally do every single thing that yep. we do. And when you can make the connections and create the understanding, it helps you make rational decisions instead of impulsive, explosive, emotional ones that you later regret. Right. Yeah. How many times have you made a really emotional decision and then later felt like, what the fuck? Like, what? And then you kind of, like, have this weird moment where you're like, can I even trust myself to make decisions? And for me, it comes with, like, a lot of, like, embarrassment, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, it does not lead to anywhere good. Yeah, especially when it's done on a public level. Mm -hmm. And that's another reason why I keep your shit off the internet. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times, the intensity, the passion, the whirlwind, all of this that we've been talking about through this episode is a sign of of chaos and just being deeply unsettled, unresolved, having baggage, you know, all this stuff and and it it feels it's almost like scratching an itch, you know, but you're really just giving yourself a scar and making yourself bleed. Yeah, like, you know, in psychology or you know, if you go to therapy, they teach you that having like an intense attraction to chaos or thriving in chaos is a really big sign that you have like stuff that you need to unpack and heal because that dynamic typically comes from your childhood. Yeah. And if you have just pushed that aside and not dealt with it, you literally just go on the rest of your life trying to subconsciously recreate chaos because that's what's familiar to you and you just end up hurting everyone around you, right. sabotaging all your relationships, having commitment issues. Yeah. Like you have to heal the things of your past that have brought you to a point where you're intoxicated by chaos. And that intoxication and that intensity is actually a warning sign. It is. And I think because it releases feel-good chemicals, Mm -hmm. we don't see it as a warning sign. But it actually is. It's a massive red flag that you're repeating a cycle that may may actually end in abuse. Yeah. So we also found a really great article from a doctor... Marcia Sirota or Marcia Sirota, MD, and we'll link to her blog entry. Um, but she is a doctor who was just, I guess she read some study about the types of predatory, not predatory, the bad behavior that you see in um, movies and stuff and mm-hmm. how that actually teaches us to like romanticize stalking behavior and so she compiled a list of six things that she sees all the time in movies Mm -hmm. that get romanticized and that teach us to actually like feel flattered by this kind of behavior um so we just wanted to end on like terrible behavior that you see in movies and stuff that's actually really dangerous behavior that we often especially as women interpret as Romantic. Flattering. And flattering and good. So, number one is predatory behavior early on in a relationship. Um, Something I have learned is that when you are just getting to know someone, I feel like that is the clearest time where people reveal things. You just have to be, like, looking for them. Yeah. People kind of show you and tell you who they are early on, even if they're not coming right out and saying it. But the problem is that we like look at them with like love blinders on Mm -hmm. where we're like, oh, uh, I'm just going to forget that they did that. Uh, I'm going to justify that they did or said that. Yeah. People that are like predators, they show certain signs early on 
excessive sharing of details, yep. intimate details about other people or their past very early on. Possessiveness, Possessiveness early on. Um, Jealousy early on. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Or, like, they're sharing with you that every single person that they dated was crazy. Uh-huh. This is, like, one of the most talked about things online. Is like, when guys refer to all their exes as crazy or they all use them or whatever, it's that's not true. But, and, and so... What it looks like in romanticism is you're hearing that you're the one that's different. You're yeah. the one that's not crazy. Oh, you're the, you're the only decent person I've met. Right. They've probably said that to literally everyone before you. Because right. no one, especially with men, if they're all their exes are crazy, <laughs> guarantee you as time goes on, you're going to realize that they weren't crazy. Right. Um, so another one, this is one of the biggest ones I think is boundary violations. Massive. So that, that is seen as like so romantic in movies and it makes me really mad. So like a man sees a woman and he's like, oh, heart eyes, she's the one. And then he pursues her and she's like, no. And then he continues pursuing her until she gives in. Oh, and then it's like her? a happy love story. That's seen as romantic. No. And, and that story is repeated over and over again. I know. And it's like this weird, like, learned behavior. So I've heard a lot of men talk about that you're supposed to be really persistent and blah, 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 blah. Like, all these different things. Um, that's scary. Yeah. And I think that from, like, the female side of it, sometimes, like, maybe, like, women feel, like, flattered by it because it's so much attention and we're literally starved for attention and neglected in so many of our relationships that sometimes we can be like, oh, wow, this is someone that really cares about me. No, this is someone that can't take no for an answer unless, Mm -hmm. like, reflect on the type of people that can't take no for an answer. Being overly persistent, whether it's, like, um you know, sending letters or, you know, just calling all the time, stuff like that. That is always romanticized and, like, rewarded for the men in these stories that are doing that. Next one is stalking. Stalking. Um, I've experienced this multiple times. I have too. Okay, so, especially a man, showing up where you work or where you live, um, you know, looking you up on the internet to find out where you live or work. That's all stalking. Even, like, relentless messages, relentless calling, stalking. Yep. Yep. Um, But this, like, weird persistence is always, not always, but frequently romanticized. Um, And Zena's just, like, he's so into her that he won't give up. Like, he's never giving up. He's crazy for you. No, he's just fucking crazy. Yeah, he's just actually crazy. Yeah. Um, So that's definitely red flag behavior, but it is always frequently scripted as um romantic and hot (laughs) i've I've dealt with this like firsthand like being stalked by exes and it's it's like so weird because it's like i'm gonna show you that like i'm worthy of another chance or like i love you i I now realize i like all this stuff i've dealt with this too people showing up unannounced at my home yeah people finding out where my home is waiting for me to get home stuff like that it's terrifying like Mm -hmm. if that if you feel like the only way to show someone that you care about them is to do these things then you really need to get help you're violating their privacy you're violating their boundaries they're you're violating their personal safety yeah because it's supposed to be like interactions between two people is supposed to be a comfortable thing and nothing is comfortable about just someone appearing right where you are like that's it's gross. It's really gross. Hypersexual behavior. We touched on this one a lot um, throughout the episode, but again, this is romanticized and shown as um, you know something to aim for. Yeah. Um, in movies and television, a lot it's shown as like these people are just so passionate about each other they can't keep their hands off each other. Um, but in reality, it's uh, a huge red flag. That and like. Uh, someone sharing like too much sexual information with you really early mm-hmm. on um, This can be an indicator like if they're like excessively sharing graphic details about sex or their previous sex life Oh my god, I'm about to sneeze <gasps> This can actually be a sign that they're a sex addict because mm-hmm. sex addicts like can't not talk about sex right. and they make a lot of other people uncomfortable by 
crossing boundaries and excessively sharing. So I just think it's a really like, if you're like getting in the beginning phase of talking to someone and like right off the bat, they're talking about like wanting to fuck you and like just really graphic stuff. Like this is someone that doesn't understand normal social boundaries. This yeah. is someone that probably isn't going to practice normal boundaries yeah. in a relationship. Absolutely. Um, hurtful behavior, again, this is one where, yes, you should be able to talk to your partner and eventually probably say things that could be maybe critical, but um, never in a hurtful way. And I think a lot of times in media, it's shown as really early on being able to say hurtful things or as like a push-pull where you're each hurting each other or using like harsh language, like cursing at each other. Um, Stuff like that is, again, romanticized. The drama of it is yeah. romanticized. The whole plot of, like, the man or the woman being, like, getting so fed up in some kind of argument. Being like, I don't fucking care about you. Just go. I don't fucking care. Right. Who, like, what? You're not in drama theater. Like, right. who talks to someone that way? Like, it's, it's an indicator of, like, how someone typically has been raised in an abusive environment. Because when you're raised in a secure environment with love, you don't ever find it appropriate to scream at someone, to cuss them out, to tell them they mean nothing to you, right. to make threats, to, you know, do name-calling. This, let's call it what it is, this is abuse. Yeah. And I think that verbal abuse has been so normalized that we see it as like, oh, they just got really angry or... Right. No, they're abusive. Yep. They came from abuse. They are probably just continuing the abuse because that's what people do right. until they heal their shit. Yep. That's exactly right. Um, and then this one, I, I mean, I feel like this one is represented all the time as romantic and forgivable, but um, the silent treatment. Um, manipulation. It's manipulative. It's purposefully acting in a way that cannot solve what the current issue is mm -hmm. and it gives you a false sense of power at a sadistic like on a sadistic level yeah and again this is abuse this is intentional this is learned behavior this is an abusive individual who doesn't possess the emotional maturity to speak to you like a grown person prime example edward disappearing for fucking months oh my god how did i forget about that yeah twilight. like he was just like goodbye gone gone let's not talk about this goodbye yeah and then oh i'm just gonna leave you to like hurt and wallow and miss me so that again we can create this terrible low so that we can have this amazing desperate high that brings us back together yeah. That's like a complete. I mean, honestly, this entire list is in like all, that's all in Twilight alone, except maybe hypersexual, but that's in Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. <laughs> like Fifty Shades of Grey's pie, which is also We Twilight. have zero, zero connection. Let's just fuck 24 Let's only fuck. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, you can pick any one of those like example relationships that are uh, relationships and movies and stuff that we listed in the beginning, and you can apply a lot of these bullet points to each of those. It's. I feel like the silent treatment, though, like, going back to that again, is, go like, related to the point that we made about relationships require constant checking in and communication. Right. The silent treatment is the opposite It's a total breakdown it's going, communication. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to resolve this. I'm going to do what makes me feel good and what hurts you. Abuse. And a lot of times it's shown in... Uh, movies and stuff as like I will stop talking to you until you read my fucking mind yeah. and figure out how to change your behavior in the way that I want you to change your behavior. It's literal manipulation mm -hmm. without like there's no winning in it. No. It's bad. But yeah a lot of these things like all of these things that we highlighted for the most part are abuse. They are normalized abuse. Most of us have experienced it or even partaken in mm -hmm. it because again where was our template for how to behave correctly in relationships? Right. So I think understanding what these things are that sometimes even if they generate a big high or like explosive sex as an end result, you're still participating in an abuse cycle. Yep. That's exactly right. So knowing all this and knowing that we're navigating through a world that puts romanticism on a pedestal, it's really important to ask is this love or is this codependency? And what's sad is that I don't think a lot of people would even put them in a position to ask themselves that 
but if you feel like you need someone to survive, you need someone to be happy, you need someone to feel like your life has purpose, you're dying without them, you can't function without them, I'm really sorry to tell you, but that's not what love is because love is a very like, like peaceful, non-chaotic type of feeling. Yep. Codependency is like starvation. Yeah, that's, hey. that's such a good comparison. The good news is if you start looking inward and start working on this kind of stuff, you can transition from a codependent relationship to a relationship that is no longer codependent. It is possible. So if you feel like this is the right person for me and, you know, it's that's a mutual feeling, like you can transition past this stuff and that's great news because <laughs> most of us don't have this template or foundation for relationships where we could enter into a relationship that isn't codependent in the first place. And especially if we didn't come from a healthy family background. Right. If you didn't have a healthy family dynamic growing up, it's going to be increasingly difficult mm -hmm. for you to have a healthy romantic dynamic. So unless you do the work, guess what? You're just gonna fucking repeat <laughs> what you saw growing yeah. up. Yeah. And that's something more we can go over like in an episode about adult attachment theory, which is like something we've talked about doing because yes. we use these like uh, reference points that are what adult attachment theory is in basically every single episode and I think that if we were all taught what this theory was from like a young age we probably wouldn't go through multiple abusive relationships until we're like oh maybe I shouldn't behave this way right right and there's so I think we'd, we'd really like to do an episode on what a secure healthy relationship looks like because we kind of hint at it, but we mostly talk about like what it isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, and also there's so many gray areas where you're in a relationship that's not healthy, but it's also not abusive yeah. or you're in a relationship that's mostly healthy, but there's a couple of dynamics that are abusive. Yeah. And I feel like the word abusive is even such, um, like a trigger word and also kind of a buzzword. It's Lately, very, it's like, like a black and white term. It's very black and white, but really you could have just a dynamic that's abusive, but not like, um, like evil, you know, yeah. like you can be in dynamics where you are manipulating your partner, but you're not, you don't know that you're doing it. Yeah, and so. I, I feel like unless we learn what these things are and what real love looks like, we're more than likely going to participate in abuse. Like, right. Usually it's not one person in a relationship that is abusive. Usually it's both. Yeah. And so it's important to recognize what your own, like, maybe abusive behavior tendencies have been. Right. So that you can, you know, unpack that. Right, exactly. So lots of gray areas between a very unhealthy, very abusive relationship and a healthy, not abusive relationship. So I think that's an episode we're both really interested in doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that conversation just, you know, obviously we're not experts um, and we're just like participants in therapy, but, yeah. um, and participants in trying to have better relationships. But, um, well, I, I'd like to be a part of that conversation and help keep it going. Yeah, because that's a conversation I wish someone had had with me when I was like, I don't know, 20. Same, same. Please? <laughs> um, yeah, so let us know what you thought yes. about today's episode. Let us know if you want us to finally talk about the adult attachment theory and how to actually like have uh -huh. a healthy, secure relationship. Um, and... Thank you Thank for you. watching our eighth episode slash listening to it if you are listening. Yes. Um, if you are watching this on YouTube, definitely subscribe to our channel. Please. That helps our show. Um, you can also follow us on uh, Spotify or iTunes. Uh, you can go to our website, gsswshow.com, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're everywhere. Yeah, we are literally everywhere. And please let us know what you thought. Um, we love hearing from you guys. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.